Good morning, Salt City Church. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Philippians. We're going to be continuing on in our series through Philippians. Open up to Philippians 2. Um, and if you were here a couple weeks ago, we're actually going to be continuing the conversation that Colin walked us through, talking about unity within this family. And this morning, Paul is going to be continuing the conversation about unity by directing our eyes to the one thing that we need more than anything else if we want to be a unified family. That this mindset is something that all of us must share together if we are to be a community that resembles Christ in any way, and if we want to be completely different from the world around us, this one thing we need more than anything else. It's the one thing that the, pre- the, the lack of it leads to disunity. And so as we think about this, there's probably so many things that come to our mind, like there's so many problems in the world, there's so many things that we disagree with that are out there that cause us to say, if that changed, then there would be unity. But the text is actually going to direct our eyes back in on ourselves this morning to show us that the very thing that all of us need is a heart of humility. That the way that we resemble, the, resemble Christ more than anything else is to walk in a state of humility. St. Augustine, when asked what the central principles of Christianity are, his response was first humility, second humility, third humility. And so this morning, we want to tackle this idea that we are not to be a people that are constantly thinking about ourselves, but we're seeking to fill our mind with the thoughts and the concerns and the desires of other people in this room. And where we know this is a beautiful command, this is our greatest struggle. Because if you're like me, so much of my time is thinking about, man, how am I performing How am I looking? How am I comparing to other people around me? And so my thoughts are just constantly being filled more and more with my own self. And even in my own like pursuit of humility, I'm like, how do I become a more humble person? How do I do things to become more humble? I'm just focusing on myself yet again. And if I'm honest with myself, I just want to be more humble than you. Like that, that's honestly what's going on in my mind. And so I'm focusing on myself, how I can rise the ranks of humility in that moment. And so this thing that we're supposed to run after feels impossible. And yet Paul is going to show us that it is a necessity if we want to be a unified body. So how do we become a family that's defined by humility? We're going to walk through three different points. We're going to walk through the call of humility. We're going to look at the example of humility and then the result of humility. Let's look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, so right away in this text, Paul starts off with a list of ifs, if you will. So he says, if 
there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy. And when we read that phrasing right away, a lot of times when we use the word if, it's like a wonder if that exists or not. But as we look at this list, every single one of these is responded with a resounding yes. Like there is so much encouragement to be found in Christ. There is so much comfort from the love of Christ entering into our lives. And so actually what Paul wants us to read this as is since. Since there is encouragement in Christ. Since there is incredible comfort from love. Since you are now in participation with the Spirit, where the Spirit of God is dwelling within you. Since there is affection and sympathy. He's going to then say, because of that, Live out the following. And as Paul does in all of his letters, he first lays out what is true of us in Christ, and then he welcomes us into the life that we should be living because of that reality. And so he says, complete my joy. This joy that he has of living to advance the kingdom, this joy that he has of pouring out so that others might be um, brought into that family as well, as Paul wanted to be an overflow to impact the lives of others, he says, complete my joy by seeing that gospel take root in your life as a family, that you'd be of the same mind, that you'd have the same love and full of cord, this idea of being in complete agreement with one another and of one mind. And then he hits us with this line, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but rather count others more significant than yourselves. The call in this passage is that we are to be the type of people that there isn't a glimpse of selfish ambition amongst us. Not a glimpse of pride. Not, not just a little less than the world around us. The call is to have none. Easy enough, right? When, when C.S. Lewis talks about pride, he says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice and the utmost evil is pride. Impurity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And pride is what drives the way that the world operates around us. The seeking to ascend to the top, to stand out amongst everyone else, and we see it so clearly in the world around us, and yet we see it so clearly in our own heart as well. And what Paul is trying to show us is that pride is actually the birthing ground of every form of disunity that you will experience in a community. That pride is by nature a competitive comparing of yourself to someone else. And if you're trying to use someone else as a step to lift your name up, you cannot be unified with that person. C.S. Lewis goes on to say that we don't just have pride in a given thing, but we actually have pride that we have more of that thing than someone else. And so we were talk about uh, an example might be for you to receive recognition and respect in your workplace. What it's saying is that you might receive a little bit of recognition, but the moment someone receives more, you are no longer satisfied with that. You want more respect than the other people around you. So how else would that affect your life? It will cause you to only seek out those who will benefit the advancement of your name. 
It will cause you to be jealous and bitter towards anyone that you feel is receiving more respect and recognition than you. It will cause you to be frustrated towards people who aren't recognizing the greatness of your work as they should. It will lead you to feel a constant need to protect and to defend your name and what you're doing to make sure that you are still ascending your name to the top. People become simply a step or an obstacle to you ascending your name to the top. And the funny thing is that we are all competing for the same exact thing, which is glory, the very thing that none of us deserve. And because of this competitive nature, Paul is showing us in this text that pride leaves no room for unity to exist in a family. And therefore, he's like, there is no room for pride to be present in this family. The call for us actually is to flee pride and to pursue the opposite, a life of humility. And actually, in this culture, this this group that Paul is writing this letter to, humility was not seen as this virtuous characteristic. And I think today we might have a little, like, better idea of it. Like, we might appreciate it. But a lot of times we have a, a flawed perspective of what humility is. Because where we might see it, As thinking less of ourselves, that's not what the text talks about. It's not just this downer atmosphere about yourself, but rather it says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It it defines this for, for us perfectly right afterwards. Like, count others more significant than yourselves. The right response to us following Christ with our lives is to emulate him in the way that he counted others as more significant than himself. That he was someone that looked to the interests of other people day after day after day. So I was at a a Twins game on on Friday night, and my father-in-law asked me, what is one of the things that I've learned most about parenting? And the first thing that came to mind was the word sacrifice, which I knew that would be a thing, um, but then when you enter into it, you get a whole other understanding of it. Um, But then I I began to wonder, like, what if I just didn't want to, right? And what if I just didn't want to sacrifice for Zeta? And and so there's these moments where, like, she might be crying uncontrollably. Instead of helping her, I actually just throw in some earplugs, and I was like, hey, figure it out, all right? You got this one. Sounds like a personal problem there. If she's hungry and needs to get fed, what if I was just like, hey, I'm actually watching a game right now. A lot of good sporting events happen this weekend. Milk's in the fridge, bottle on the counter, help yourself. Okay, I realize, okay, as parents, you have your moments. I realize that. But this was the constant state of my parenting where I was like, I'm going to do what's best for me, and then what little time I have left, I'm going to help you. If that was a constant state, you'd probably think I was a pretty bad parent, right? Like, the most obvious response to me becoming a parent is that I count Zeta as more significant than myself. And where this is obvious when we think about parents, it doesn't come as obvious when we think about others in this room. And Paul is saying in the same way for us to follow Christ means that we begin living a life where we count others as more significant than ourselves, that that becomes the definition of this family. 
the natural overflow of who we are. And so then I just began thinking, like, what would it look like if Salt City Church began to live this out? Where we began to celebrate the success and the joy of others instead of wanting it to be us there instead. Where we didn't see our weekends as our own time that we need to box off, that we need to protect, but actually as time that we can give away to serve someone that needs it. Where we begin to see our finances as something to give away, to bless someone who needs help in that moment. Where we enter into this room on a Sunday and we're thinking more about who we can encourage, the new person that we can invite in, rather than how we look. And where instead of putting a microscope on each other's sin and differences, we put a spotlight on the cross and we rally around the one thing that binds us together more than anything else. Wouldn't that be amazing? And all of us want that. Like all of us desire for that to be the case. And Paul is telling us is that if you want that radical type of humility, there is no room for pride. And as I hear that, I'm like, but there is pride. Like I see it in my heart day after day that I constantly think about myself. So how do we start pursuing this in our life? We can't have pride, but it still exists. Humility seems like this virtue that's just too great for us to even pursue, too great for us to even grasp ourselves. So let's look at point two, which is the example of humility. It kicks off with this Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, everyone, Paul is saying that this mindset of humility is already yours in Christ. Like, this isn't just like a wishful thinking that, hey, if you could just muster up all your strength, you could maybe take one step closer to being a humble person. He's reminding you that Christ himself is in you. So you're not operating off of your own strength. You're operating off the strength of Christ in you. And he entered into your heart with the sole purpose of making you more like him with one day you becoming perfect. So here we have a promise that you will one day be perfect. And he is working you in that direction. So he wants to instill courage in us that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave dwells in you. And therefore, we can strive to be people of humility now. Let's keep reading. Christ who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So it says, though Christ was in the form of God, though he was fully God in every single way, though he was the one that spoke the world into existence, though he knew everyone in this room from the foundations of the world, He did not count equality something to be grasped. He wasn't trying to make people understand his name that he deserved to be called. He wasn't trying to defend his name or the rights that he deserves as God. He wasn't walking into every room saying, God is in the building. Though he was God, he was living in such a way that he was not seeking the attention that God deserves. He wasn't grasping for that name all of the time. And I just just think about that. Like, my heart gets frustrated if someone doesn't recognize something that I do super average at best. 
And Christ chooses to step off the throne in heaven to come amongst us. That he actually took off the crown of glory and chose to become a servant to show us how important we are to him. And here we see that our inability to pursue humility isn't because it's a virtue too high for us to attain. The text says that we have this already in Christ. We have the mindset of Christ already. But it's because there's a glory that we feel like we deserve and we aren't willing to give it up. And so where we try to put on the form of what we're not, trying to receive glory that only God deserves, Christ was actually in the form of God and chose to give that up to be a servant to us all. And as we look at this story, we see that Jesus goes the complete opposite direction of the way of the world. Where the world is seeking to ascend to the top to stand out, he is seeking a descent to the bottom. And so he comes to this earth, and it says, the text shows us that Jesus was obedient to his Father in every single way, growing up throughout his life, and he was obedient even to the point of death. And then Paul clarifies to make us fully understand the weight of this, even death on a cross. The cross was one of the most evil ways to kill somebody. If you were looking to kill someone quickly, this would not be the route that you would go. Because the way that they designed it was so that it would take as long as possible for someone to die. That they would be up there on the cross for days and days as they are slowly suffocating on their own blood. That the flogging that they went through before being hung up on the cross, that those wounds are now running up and down against the rugged cross that they're being hung to. It was one of the greatest acts of humiliation as someone would be lifted up naked and ashamed and for all to see, to be humiliated, to be mocked, to be yelled at by everyone around. And even more than all of this, Christ receiving the full wrath of his Father being poured out on him as he was hung on that cross. When we actually stop to think about the brutality of the cross, it causes us to not even wish that on our greatest enemy. Like to think of a wicked person on a cross, it's hard for us to even fathom, let alone the Son of God. Jesus chose to step off of his throne of glory, specifically to come to this earth so that he could go to the cross. Jesus humbled himself to the point of being viewed by this world, not as God as he should have, but as a criminal. Jesus humbled himself so low that he was silent before all, even though he spoke the world into existence. Jesus humbled himself to be so small like us so that a crown of thorns could even fit on the head of God. He humbled himself to be so small that three nails would be able to even hold up his weight. So fragile that he would be someone that could be pierced. Jesus humbled himself to become a person like us so that God could actually be killed by the people he created. Because we couldn't touch him when he's on the throne, so he, he took on a form that we could actually kill him. The Son of God chose willingly to become the Son of Suffering. 
And when we come back to this scene, when we focus on our Savior being hung on the cross, the blameless Son of God being hung on a cross, our pride has no ability to survive. None. And Paul puts this example right here to show us for us to be a humble people, we need to constantly be coming back to the scene to be in awe of who God is. For us to operate out of the mind of Christ, which we have now, we need to fix our eyes on the humility played out by Christ and going to the cross on our behalf, growing more and more in awe of that story day after day until we are with him in glory. And if we are continuously coming back to this incredible scene of the cross, we are continuously coming back to the point where our pride cannot survive. Salt City May we be a people that continuously grow in awe of the scene of the cross. Not just here on a Sunday, but actually day after day, tomorrow, reminding ourselves of this moment and the humiliation that our King experienced. And as we look to Him, we see a King choosing to lower Himself to the cross in order that we might be welcomed into a life of humility with Him. And so Christ is inviting us to follow him in living lives of lowering ourselves and counting others more significant than ourselves, but that's not the only thing he's inviting us to. Let's look at point three, the result of humility. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And right here we see how the kingdom of God is completely reversed from the kingdom of this world. It says, therefore, as a result of Christ's humility that he played out on this earth, God the Father has exalted his name above every other name. That where it looked like Christ was descending to the bottom and choosing a lesser joy, it ultimately led to him ascending to the top and having the greatest name on the throne of glory above all other names. Christ returns to his throne of glory, pulling off the greatest seat back of all time. And the result of this is that he actually receives the glory of every other being in this world. I love the imagery in this text. Because let's just think about all the ways that people try to ascend to the top in this world. Like people want to be the greatest athlete or the greatest influencer, the greatest leader, leader. Or even in this room, like, I want to be the greatest Christian in this room. I want to be the most humble in this room. I want to be the most noticed and applauded. I want to be the one that cares the most about this thing. Here is what Paul is showing us very clearly from this passage. Every ascension to the top of this world leads to the same exact finish line, a descending to our knees to bow to King Jesus. Our name doesn't deserve that place. 
only Christ will end up getting the glory as it is meant for him and him alone. Like all paths of this world lead to the same exact end, bowing to Jesus. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I uh, went up to the Apostle Islands, hung out in Bayfield. And here's one thing I'll say, uh, being on Lake Superior, is that I, I love towns that are on huge bodies of water, okay? Because all the excitement, all the restaurants, the breweries, all the hangouts are centered around this body of water. And so you, you know where to go to find the fun in that moment. But it also makes it incredibly easy to get around in those cities because everything is flowing towards the downtown area right by the body of water. And so if you're new to the area, you're just like, hey, this street, this street, this street, whatever street you want to take, you know it's heading to the same exact place. Everything is leading towards where all the excitement is at the body of water. Here's what Paul is clearly laying out for us, for us to see in this passage. Every route that can be taken in this life, every path that can be walked or journeyed upon leads to the same exact end as we all will bow to Jesus on the throne. That anyone else's pursuit of glory is foolish and fleeting because Christ is the only one who deserves it and the only one that will actually receive it. And in Revelation, we get a glimpse of this beautiful story of heaven where people will be bowing and worshiping Jesus on the throne in Revelation 5, 12 through 13, where it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. In this moment, Christ will be receiving all of the worship and all of the glory of everyone that's ever existed, even the ones that were hanging him up on the cross. And also in this moment, for those of us who are in Christ, we will be experiencing the greatest sense of contentment and joy that we have ever experienced. Where he is calling us to join him in lowering ourselves on this earth, he's also inviting us into celebrating the victor that he has already won. If we look back at this text, a key word is the word has. God has highly exalted him. This has already taken place. Christ is right now on the throne. And so which what that means is us choosing to follow Christ and seeking to glorify him with our life by counting others as more significant than ourselves is also us jo jumping in on the most joyful life that we could ever live. Us getting a glimpse of that heavenly day that we will one day experience to the full, but we are tasting it more and more now. The upside down picture that we see in Christ is that us choosing to die is actually us choosing to truly experience living. That us descending with Christ by going to the lowest of this earth is actually ascending with him to glory in the kingdom of heaven. We have this mindset in Christ, which actually allows us to be a different form of community that begins pursuing this now with our lives. So I want to ask, where have you been lifting up your own name in your life and not the only name that truly needs to be lifted up with your life? 
Where do you need to follow Christ in choosing to actually lower yourself for the people around you instead of trying to exalt your own name? When we seek to exalt Christ with our life, we are no longer competing for the top because we realize there's only one person that's actually ever at the top. And when we get to, and when we join in on this, instead of this competition, we actually get to join in on the celebration of Christ being on the throne, who is there now and forever will be, where he is getting all the glory. So as we continue, Salt City, to be a people that stare and fix our eyes on the cross and become more and more in awe of the scene of the cross. Let's leave here walking in the mind of Christ that we have, seeking to count others around us as more significant than ourselves, following the life of Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is a... incredible passage showing the glory of you, that you are the only one that deserves our praise and worship. God, how foolish I am to try to think that I can convince other people around me that I deserve that or try to convince my own self that I deserve that. But God, would I just be freed up from that exhausting life of constantly trying to lift my name up because I realize that, Christ, you're the only one being exalted And the crazy story of the gospel is that the only one who is exalted also is the one that chose to come and walks amongst us and to die on a cross that we deserve to die on in order that we might experience life with you. Jesus, that's insane. And as we fix our eyes on you hanging on the cross, I pray that we would be a people that are in awe and humbled by that scene. And it would cause us to leave with our sole purpose of our life just being like, God, would you be glorified with everything I do? And when we mess up, we come back to the cross and we stare at who you are. Grow us to become more like you, like you have promised. And so would we leave here encouraged knowing that you are going to finish the work that you started and that you are going to glorify yourself with our life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.